Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for listening on. You could have been anywhere in the world and you decided to spend just a few moments of your precious time and we greatly appreciate it. Here on the podcast, we talk about three things, living a plant-powered lifestyle and enhancing emotional resilience and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview a range of passionate guests such as physicians, dietitians, coaches, entrepreneurs, and many more. And please join me as I deliver these engaging, informative, and high-valued conversations for you. And just remember, the first five seasons of the Thrive Bites podcast can now be found in the new The Chef Doc app, available in your Apple Store and Google Play stores. So what are you waiting for? Come on inside. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You could have been anywhere in the world, and you decided to spend just a few precious moments with us, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, so for my next guest uh, for the show, um, I am super, 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 super excited to introduce her. Her name is uh, Dr. Neha Patak. Um, she is a fellow and MD not like a fellow friend, but, you know, like a fellow, you know, medical colleague, just super, super smart and brilliant. She's dual board certified in internal medicine and lifestyle medicine. She's the chair of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine's Global Sustainability Committee. She's an associate program director um, of the Atlanta VA Quality Scholars Fellowship Program and an adjunct assistant pro- professor of medicine at Emory University School of Medicine, which is super cool because I was just there, but super sad because I just missed her. And her research focuses on the intersection of lifestyle medicine and planetary health. Ooh, this is so good. And also a medical journalist who reports on topics related to lifestyle, environmental, and climate change impacts on health. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Neha. Hello. Hi, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the very kind introduction. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, you wrote it yourself. So (laughs) no, um, uh, you're revealing the uh, secret sauce. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's always fun to read people's bios. And, um, you know, I'm always, always just, you know, admiring people's just a time and dedication devotion uh, to different, you know, causes. And, um, you know, yours is so needed. Um, and I can't wait to dive deep. Um, but please allow the audience to know where are you calling from today? I am in Atlanta, Georgia. All right. And like I said, I was super sad that we just missed each other because I was just road tripping last week. So (laughs) it is so sad because it's not so often that people kind of come through my my hometown. So I guess it's not my hometown, my adopted hometown. So I'm sorry to have missed you. Mm. Well, next time, next time. So I know, I know ATL is very, uh, it's a hot spot. So um, both literally and figuratively. So. Um, so let's get into this um, because I definitely want to uh, explore more and learn more from you. But just to kind of orient the audience, I like to go through my guests, you know, especially um, my super heroines, you know, origin story is how do you go from point A to point B? We know that you're board certified in internal medicine, right? Um, but you're also board certified in lifestyle medicine. And it is a topic of profession that we talk about a lot. But what is 
your journey, you know, to it, right? How did you come to find it, right? For me, it wasn't the first thing that I came upon. It was probably the third or fourth professional that I came upon and decided, whoa, this is my tribe. So how was, um, how was it for you? Yeah, that's amazing, Colin. I would love to someday learn more about about your story as well. But yeah, I uh, started out pretty much in living a life with my family where we did not have health insurance growing up. And we pretty much did a lot of traditional Indian medicine and really just sort of thought of without knowing it, we're really looking at food for a source of keeping us healthy, um, social connection, just really being connected to the people that we love. Um, I won't say that food um, was always the healthiest because we did do some processed food, but it was really vegetables, plant forward um, and avoiding meat and things like that. So that's sort of how I grew up. And then when I went to medical school, I really thought I want to do in uh, primary care. And uh, so that was really my path. And it was really sort of working in communities where there may be less access to healthcare and just trying to really work with um, community organizations as well as my patients. Um, so my first job out of residency was at a VA healthcare system. And it was amazing. It completely transformed my life because the VA is really set up like a patient-centered medical home. So we had access to social workers and nutritionists and our, you know, our core team was me, a nurse. So it was really all interdisciplinary. But every time I was talking to patients, they wanted to know more about food or exercise or the stress that was going on in their lives, the PTSD, all of this trauma that they had experienced. And I felt like I was just capable of prescribing medications or referring them out to a specialist. And so it just started to get to a point where I felt like I could do more or I want to do more. And that's where I discovered lifestyle medicine within VA, um, what we call the whole health um, sort of system. And so the whole health Yeah, that the whole that team really introduced me to these concepts of lifestyle medicine within sort of the practice of primary care. I don't know if I ever told you this, but when I was doing locum tenants for the first, you know, a couple years, I actually was working at the VA um, in New Orleans. And uh, very, very humbling experience. I was able to see like literally every veteran, I think from every war. And it was really, really cool. And I totally resonate with what you're saying that it is very similar to like a patient uh, medical center home. And, uh, you know, it just has everything, you know, there, but you still feel that there's something missing. And that's how I felt through different kinds of settings, whether it's a VA or a community health center or just a regular outpatient setting, you know, there's something missing. And so I agree with you. Lifestyle medicine provides those, you know, tools for you. Once you got into it, how has that shifted for you personally? And how has that shifted for you professionally? Yeah, so I think that it really helped me realize that a lot of these traditional systems of medicine are the same sort of foundations of lifestyle medicine, where you're really thought to think, where you're really trained to think of food as your medicine, 
your activity is your medicine, yoga, meditation, stress management strategies, the focus on sleep. And in so many different cultures, there's a siesta culture or there's a nap culture. There's this just this culture in trying to find restoration in sleep mm. um, and not being so go, 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 go. And as we were talking about before, just like where's the productivity and just being busy just to be busy. But there is just this genuine part of your cycle of the day where you honor rest. Um, and so it just really made me reflect on all of that personally. Mm. And then professionally, it's really interesting because I found lifestyle medicine in the VA. I was able to practice it with my patients for a period of time. And then I think I had already started thinking that I wanted to maybe be in a setting where I wasn't just one-to-one making a difference, but trying to reach a broader population. And so that's what brought me to sort of medical communication and then really the focus on reporting around climate change, environmental health, and then lifestyle medicine, how that all Mm. fits together. Mm. Awesome. Now, uh, I don't want to digress too much, but you did mention growing up, you had talked about Indian medicine. Are you referring to Ayurvedic uh, medicine? Yeah. So the traditions of sort of Ayurvedic medicine and sort of thinking about the herbs, the, you know, and it's not separate from the food. That's all used to flavor and spice the food that you're eating. It's all used. So if you're sick, if you have a cough, you know, looking to honey or looking to certain other types of er- ginger to try to help with you with nausea. So we were always kind of trained to look in our kitchen cabinets when we were not feeling well. Yeah, yeah. I think I've had a couple of guests that practice Ayurvedic medicine, and they would tell me the different uh, benefits of like cumin to coriander to turmeric to it was it was just great just spices in general you could probably have a whole podcast episode <laughs> on <laughs> very very fr- uh, profound one of my culinary instructors uh, he was italian and he practiced um you know uh, a lot with uh, ayurvedic medicine not in a clinical sense but just was a great student in it and so that was my you know exposure has there been any type of health challenges, either personally for you or family members or anyone uh, of an antidote that you can share um, that you feel has made a lot of changes uh, by the application of lifestyle medicine? Yeah, I think that growing up, so like I said, we didn't have health insurance. So we didn't really know about chronic conditions in our lives because we weren't getting you know, regular blood pressure checks and we weren't getting regular sugar checks. So I'm thinking mostly of my parents. Um, as children, for the most part, if you're generally healthy, you're pretty indestructible. Um, but for adults, you know, that's when a lot of these lifestyle habits catch up with you. And like I said, we were vegetarian. We did think of food as medicine, but we weren't the healthiest vegetarians. We had a lot Mm -hmm. of processed foods. We had traditional, some, you know, Indian meals with a lot of fatty foods, a lot of fried foods, a lot of sugar. And so when we finally did get health insurance, that's when we discovered my father had super high blood pressure, significant coronary artery disease, Mm -hmm. um, and just requiring you know, multiple bypass procedures, and a lot more interaction with the healthcare system than he had ever wanted. And so that sort of really led to a shift for me wanting to pursue the path of medicine. And then 
as we've gotten older, as I've had my own children, because I feel like there's a phase in life when you're just like, I just got to go, go, go and get things done. And you're not Mm -hmm. really focused on your health. And then when I had my kids, I was like, I don't really want this for them. Like I'm repeating these same patterns. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started seeing that my dad had also shifted in his diet and that I really need to impart these habits on my kids earlier in their lives than having some sort of health scare before we we change our ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure. A lot of lifestyle medicine is taking the proactive approach. And when you're in the current healthcare model, you know, everything has just been so reactive that you're just conditioned to, you know, think and for the lack of, you know, tutelage of lack of, you know, diet, lifestyle curriculum or school and training, um, that this is the only way to be. And I know that you and I, you know, we're just so, so happy to be able to find uh, this profession to, you know, make changes. So thank you sharing for sharing about your family uh, stories. Um, So shifting gears a little bit, let's talk about planetary health. My first quick question is how much crap are we in? All right. (laughs) Let's set the stage, okay? So the UN is estimating the planet Earth to be reaching towards 10 billion, right, in population. Um, We are having just an exponential amount of climate disasters, flooding from, you know, uh, ice melting to ecosystems being destroyed. There's been the Paris Agreement that was set in stage, um, I believe, in the mid-teens of uh, the 2000s. And uh, we just had recently a COP27 uh, uh, summit, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the quick and easy you know, cliff notes of it is we're making some progress, but not fast enough. So <laughs> how much crap are we in in terms of planetary health? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to deliver this in a good news, bad news sandwich, as we are taught in medical school to deliver difficult feedback. So I think that, you know, clearly, so the IPCC, which is that body of the UN, that com- that basically hundreds of scientists come together and pool the best research on climate science and put it together in a report um, that has to be agreed upon by every nation um, in the UN. So that IPCC report Um, basically the most recent synthesis report came out in March and the facts are pretty dire that, um, we have basically been shooting emissions into the atmosphere at much higher rates and that we're already seeing the consequences of these greenhouse gases and gas emissions much earlier than we had anticipated. And that if we keep going the way we are, we are definitely going to shoot past that goal of 1.5 degrees of sort of uh average warming across the globe. Um, and we can talk more about why that target was so important, but the the Paris Agreement and then another report that came out after that, that was sort of like the Paris Agreement was like, eh, 1.5, maybe two um, degrees of warming would be okay. And then there was a report that came out after that with more science that said, the closer we stay to 1.5, the safer we're going to be um, mm-hmm. in terms of being able to live in the way that we are in a healthy on a healthier planet. So mm-hmm. as you said, if we don't, we're already seeing the effects of some things that people don't necessarily think relate to them, like 
sea ice melting, glaciers melting, uh, sea level rising, um, you know, more storms. People sometimes are sort of like, oh, okay, the climate has always changed. So what's the big deal? It's not necessarily that it's changing. It's just that it's completely chaotic. We have not come to a normal. This is not like, okay, we're at a new normal. No, we're just going to continue to have these shifts, continue to have extreme weather, um, continue to not be able to predict when this can, when this will happen in any region. So I hope that that is not too negative <laughs> because there is somewhat of a silver lining to the report. I mean, they were the most dire they've ever been in any of their reports, but they mm-hmm. did said that, say that we have the solutions to really, really, really ramp down on our greenhouse gas emissions. And Mm. there is a pathway to us not being too far off the 1.5 target, but we have to act now. That's Mm. essentially what the report says. Mm. Is that the bad news? (laughs) Uh, That's the bad news mixed with that little bit of good news that we can do this if we all come together. We can actually, with our current technologies, so we're not talking about things that are still yet to be invented, with yes. our like current technologies, yes, yes. we can, we, we, we can just find dated, a we just, dated, we just dated ourselves, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting because we hear about, you know, the, the monsoons, the tropical storms. I have, as part of the ChefDoc team, I have workers in, um, you know, as part of my team from the Philippines, and they get super, super storms. Um, uh, super hurricanes, um, you know, ramage, you know, rampaging through the country. And that's half a world away. You know, that's easy to kind of separate in our minds, right? But then you'll hear about states like, you know, Florida, the Gulf, any, pretty much any of the states that border the Gulf of Mexico, especially, you know, uh, Louisiana. I've read a recent report where Galveston, Texas, uh, will be underwater because of the increased amount of, you know, flooding that's going to, you know, happen um, because of the, you know, the nature of this chaotic, evolving nature that we're, you know, in. In terms of the solutions that you are, well, before we talk about solutions, you know, it seems like every day we get a different, you know, I don't want to say a scapegoat, but I would like to know where are the majority of the emissions coming from? Let's break it down into sectors, okay? From my own research, it's been animal agriculture, so much so that it's more than the entire transportation sector combined. Is that still true or is there other uh, industries that are contributing to that? So we know that the bulk of carbon dioxide that is being emitted into our atmosphere is coming from the consumption of fossil fuels. So basically the harvesting and consuming of, of fossil fuels for energy, for transportation, for industrial activities. So I think that that's pretty much where we have a large bulk of our greenhouse gas co- emissions coming from. Agriculture has a huge role as well. So something on the order of, and it di- the estimates are different depending on uh, the the science that is being used to the the data that's being used to create the the climate models, but essentially close to 31% of greenhouse gas emissions. So that would be mostly like methane um, from agriculture come from our food system as it currently functions globally. So that is to say 
that even if we did everything that we could in terms of limiting fossil fuel uh, combustion, if we don't address agriculture and our food system, then we would still uh, potentially surpass the 1.5 degrees Celsius. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zhu, aka the Chef Doc, and I am here again. We're always giving back. Nature, being out there, traveling, globe trotting, you know, scuba diving is a huge passion of mine, especially before COVID. And I've been humbled and blessed to be able to touch every single continent on the planet and being able to witness firsthand climate change, whether that's, you know, uh, witnessing and observing bleached uh, coral reefs off of the Great Barrier Reef, off of Queensland, um, Australia, or just watching, you know, glaciers actually uh, tumble and fall and due to uh, global warming off of the Antarctic uh, Peninsula. And so it's a huge to be able to, being able to contribute and give back as a human being, as a global citizen, as a planetary steward. You know, I believe that everyone has a right and responsibility because they just live on planet Earth to be able to be conscious and give back and make conscious choices of, you know, understanding what their uh, footprint uh, means and what understand what their choices mean. So One Tree Planted is a nonprofit organization uh, dedicated mainly to help everyone plant trees and to better um, the environment. Their tagline is pretty much every product that is sold, especially um, every dollar that is um, you know contributed actually goes towards um, planting one tree on land. Their partnerships uh, span the globe and they partner with a lot of local communities to be able to do this with the hope of creating an impact for nature, people, and the wildlife. Reforestation helps to rebuild forests, especially after wildfires. It helps to rebuild homes um, after natural disasters, especially being able to uh, replant trees after natural disasters. And it also provides jobs for social impact. And what's really cool about them is that they make sure that their mission and vision aligns with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Sea Trees is a nonprofit organization based in California. Their parent organization, Sustainable Surf, uh, advocates and empowers others and inspire others to inspire actions that promote ocean um, health and also using that to reverse climate change. The ocean contains actually 90% of carbon of the global carbon cycle. And it's, you know, a lot of things that people don't know is that it actually sequesters a great amount of carbon dioxide than any other ecosystem on the planet. So Seed Trees helps to partner with local communities, brands, social entrepreneurs, and scientists that know how to regenerate ecosystems in our, you know, oceans and rivers, lakes and, and tributaries. And if you wanted to learn more, please go to the new website, theshefdoc.app slash backslash social responsibility. And thank you very much. And I'll see you on the next one. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. 
So do you feel like those two sectors are the big contributors that we really need to get a good handle on? So I think that that there's so much attention being paid to fossil fuels. So I think Mm. that there is a lot uh, that people are doing across the world to try to shift us towards renewable energy. I think that we are starting to see some in some people embracing how important the role of agriculture and the the supply chain around food is. Um, And that's really, really, really important because that's where we have so much of our health co-benefits that we know as lifestyle medicine providers that that's the biggest prescription that we have to offer people to prevent um, and and reverse and Mm -hmm. manage chronic disease well. It just so happens that is that's a huge thing that we can do to also limit, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. So if you one of the things I love to think about is that if you think about um, the production of one kilogram of beef, that puts about 60 kilograms of greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere. Producing one kilogram of something plant-based like peas puts just one kilogram of greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere. So we really are, there's a huge differential between the two. So when we are prescribing a plant-based diet to our patients to protect their health, we're protecting their short-term health if we're thinking on the order of, you know, geologic time. So you are going to be protected. But in the future, your children are going to be protected from these greenhouse gas emissions that are driving climate change. Yeah, exactly. Man, there's so much to talk about this. (laughs) Even just, you know, because a lot because when I think about animal agriculture, so you're talking about you know, planting a plant-based source versus plant, you know, uh, raising um, and grazing, <laughs> you know, animal, you know, uh, based protein, you are also saving the environment because you don't have to deforest, you know, a piece of land in order to either graze or to grow crops mainly for, you know, just the animals for the grazing animals. You know, um, I think the top three crops in America, soybeans, corn, you know, being the top two, a lot, a lot of it, a big portion of it goes towards animal agriculture. It doesn't mean go for human consumption. Yeah. And, you know, and I tell people this as well, majority of the antibiotics that are produced goes towards animal agriculture. And so there's what I love about this is that, you know, being able to, it's kind of like a seesaw effect. Once you're able to minimize one end of the seesaw, the it, it's almost like a reciprocal increase. You know, you are saving land, you're increasing your nutritional density, you're saving, you know, you're improving animal welfare. And not to mention the, the CAFOs, the concentrated animal feeding operations that are, you know, kind of huddled mainly in middle of America, which a lot of people don't understand is that there's also communities that live around this. And there's a lot of side effects that happen when you're producing all these like noxious gases, like methane and, you know, all these, you know, gases that are emitted from these um, operations. And it actually produces chronic diseases, neurological diseases for these local communities as well. Yeah, so I'm so glad you you pointed that out. So I think that one thing just to take a step back to is planetary health. So we were talking about that when we first started our discussion. So I think a lot of focus is being placed on climate change, and rightfully so, because it is really the biggest threat at the current moment and the biggest long-term threat. But planetary health, just to take a step back, is basically thinking about 
the health of humans, the health of our civilization, and the health of the natural world upon which our health depends, right? So it's not just a stable climate. It's also thinking about environmental degradation. It's also thinking about land use. It's also thinking about our water supplies. It's also thinking about pollution, um, biodiversity. So when you think about all of those things um, with regard to planetary health, animal agriculture and agriculture the way that it's practiced currently, and it's different in different parts of the world, so we have to acknowledge that, um, absolutely has these negative consequences, not just for climate change, but also for the things that you just talked about that are also pieces of planetary health. So we're polluting our environment. That pollution has consequences to people that live close by. But even if you don't live close by, that pollution can make it its way into our water systems. So now that is affecting um, people much farther away. It's mm -hmm. affecting biodiversity. It's affecting, like you said, antibiotic use. So there's so many things all wrapped up into just this one piece of the puzzle. So many pieces. And I think the the greatest challenge is being able to co connect all these pieces to make a clear picture. And all the stakeholders um, at this, let's just call it an environmental table, right? That need to be there. I think to me, the biggest disconnect is not being able to see how that affects the quote unquote stakeholder, right? Um, to be able to make these instrumental, you know, uh, uh, changes and also the policyholders and et cetera, et cetera, right? Because, you know, within a city, a town, a state level, federal, um, and even just more broadly than that, there's so many issues um, regarding just humanity to deal with. And, you know, the continual fight of including the environment, um, you know, and, and connecting it with us, uh, to me is the biggest, you know, challenge. And I think that once we, once people have the understanding of these connections and how it affects themselves and vice versa, then we can have more of a motivation and, you know, more resources devoted towards, you know, keeping these safeguards, you know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, that's a major point. And I think one of the things is, is thinking about how we're individuals nested in communities, nested in cities or whatever, you know, larger structure districts, countries, and then the entire world. So if you think of yourself um, and you think of yourself just very isolated in that whole nested system, then you may have a different motivation for action in your area than yes. if you're thinking of yourself as sort of a global citizen. So I think it's, but the good news there too, is that we can use the health case to impact people on any of those levels, right? It's mm -hmm. harder to make a case to care about climate change for a lot of people, because like you're saying, a lot of the very direct and very current impacts are happening in places that are potentially far away, mm -hmm. or even if they're happening close to you, we live in a, we have basically created a system in which we're making most of the greenhouse gases and we don't get affected by it because 
we're in air conditioned buildings. So when there's extreme heat events, we're not really experiencing that. We have cars that transport us from one place to the other. So we're burning fossil fuels as we get to our next location. But all of that fossil fuel is going into the air. We're not necessarily feeling the air pollution. But guess what? Those people that are unhoused, those people that are outdoor workers, those children that are playing sports outside, they're the ones experiencing those consequences. So um, so I think that that makes it harder for people to care about some of these issues. But yeah. what you what makes it easier is to think about your health. So if I talk to you about your personal health or the health of your family, and I'm talking about lifestyle interventions, I might know that, hey, I'm giving a prescription for both things. I'm prescribing a, planet, uh, a, a healthy plant-based diet that's going to improve your risk for chronic disease. I also know that that's going to improve planetary health. If that doesn't resonate with you, I don't need to bring it up. But at least mm. I I know as a prescriber that my prescription pad is really powerful as a lifestyle medicine mm-hmm. health professional. So I just hope that, that that's, that's some of the positive that we can take away from this. Yeah, yeah. No, and and that's a beautiful segue into the next question, which you (laughs) partly answered already is, you know, how does lifestyle medicine interplay with that, right? And why should practitioners um, of any form of any aspect of lifestyle medicine care about, you know, prescribing it, or even talking about it, educating about it? Um, Personally, I started a walk with a doc chapter um, that's going to, you know, commence uh, next month in May. And for me, it's a natural segue, you know, to be able to talk about, you know, for those of you who don't know what a walk with a doc is, um, it's a great nonprofit organization in 34 countries, more than 500 local chapters and all over the, the country started by cardiologists. So what you do is you walk in a designated area with a healthcare professional and there's a, a healthcare, there's a, a brief, a, t- a health talk brief discussion um, before that. It's a great way to educate. It's a great way to go into nature, right? And it's a great way to practice lifestyle medicine and be able to connect. You know, it's a very easy, applicable mm-hmm. way of connecting it, right? But for those that are, you know, working in the hospitals, for those that are working, you know, in an outpatient setting, for those that are working in the VA that's not part of the whole health initiative or don't have the lifestyle medicine tools that you have, why should they care? How does it, how does it, you know, intersect? So I think that there's the health case for humans and the health case for the planet. And like we were talking about and like what you're saying is that that case, you're going to have to figure out what case you need to make based on the person in front of you. So if the person in front of you is really someone that is concerned about their own personal health, then it's really important to recognize in your own self that what you're going to prescribe to them is going to be helpful for both. But we know that 60% of adults in the United States have at least one chronic condition, 40% have two or more. Um, And we know that poor diets are killing close to 11 million people across the globe. And we know that at least 50% of Americans are not even getting close to meeting the dietary guidelines, which just if we think about fruits and vegetables alone. So I think knowing that 
you're going to prescribe a plant-based diet to someone, you can make the case that this is going to protect you from chronic disease. This is going to be a really delicious and nutritious meal. And as a chef, you probably have healthier and more exciting recipes than I do. I make the same thing for my kids every day. They don't like it. Uh, today, my <laughs> daughter just told me that her dad, Baba, she calls him Baba, makes much better food than I do. But at the same time... That doesn't make you sad. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it doesn't make me sad. <laughs> at the same time, we know that there's science from the Eat Lancet Commission that shows that essentially following that healthy diet um, that we know prevents chronic disease is going to allow us to live. The more people that shift towards that is going to allow us to live within planetary boundaries and feed the billions of people that are going to be, you know, using the earth as a resource for in the relatively near future, future, future generations. So I think that's one, another prescription that we give your walk with a doc physical activity is really think about those local trips that we're taking that, you know, you don't need to take you. I don't need to give you a prescription to a gym. If you can think of a local trip that you take that you just sometimes just jump in the car to take, it's about a mile, two miles, something local, a grocery trip, a trip to drop off your child at daycare or at school, think about converting that to active transport to just walking, uh, to bicycling. And that is going to protect your health. And that's less emissions in your neighborhood, less that less emissions in our atmosphere, but less pollution in your local environment. And so there's so many co-benefits to action. And I have just, as I go out into the outside of lifestyle medicine world, I just see that so many people are looking to these lifestyle prescriptions, especially in the medical space, to provide these co-benefits. So we as lifestyle medicine doctors are already practicing that. So we just have to keep doing that and keep spreading the message that we are what we're doing is so helpful for that patient in front of you, for their family, for their community, and for planetary health. Yeah, yeah. And every environment is going to be different, especially for urban spaces, very much more limited green spaces. So just doing a simple Google search, you know, we pay taxes for public spaces like parks and stuff. Take advantage of it. Um, you know, I have a park right across the way. And, you know, one thing I do is just putting my phone down and just being able to walk it a couple of times, you know, take advantage of whatever you have access to and just leverage each other, you know, join a walking group, join a hiking group, join a group class and, you know, take your kids to more playgrounds. It makes me sad when Schools are minimizing recess time, especially, you know, the arts, home ec, you know, things like that. But, you know, just so much to say. And then the Eat Lancet uh, report, um, I did read the red, same report. And it's not even a whole food, not even totally a whole food plant-based. It's more of a flexitarian, you know, yeah. which they're recommending you know, maybe no more than five servings of meat and seafood in a week, you know, which is a nice, you know, closer shift. And so we're not asking everyone to go totally plants all day, all along 365. But if we are making choices for our individual health, the best part about this is that it has such a, you know, multiplicatively mm -hmm. effect with all this. And that's mm -hmm. what I love about, you know, lifestyle medicine. Quick question about the Eat Lancet. Are they going to be doing an update? Because I believe that was, it was not too long. It was like three, four years ago, right? 
So it's a commission that is still active. So they are continually doing research. They're continually going to put out updates and they have a website that that can help people sort of identify where they are on the spectrum and then sort of help shift their, their diets. And as you said, it's really not requiring uh, a complete change in what's culturally appropriate. So we're also talking about this as a global diet, right? So it's really, there are certain regions of the world that are just over-consuming. And there are certain regions of the world where malnutrition and lack of access is a real serious and major problem where the access to and the ability to eat some of these, um, you know, proteins from animal sources or fish sources is still an important component to their nutrition. So this is really a way to think about the diet holistically and globally and in a cultural context, which is still very, 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 very much plant forward. I mean, it is essentially like a modified Mediterranean diet. So I think that we all recognize that that's a very healthy diet. And this is very similar to that. And just to, if I may, just, you know, to follow up on your one point about the nature-based solutions, which are like my all-time favorite thing in the whole world. To <laughs> is prescribe. it your favorite thing? Is it, it, it your favorite thing now? It is my favorite thing. Can I say that again? It's my favorite <laughs> thing because it multi-solves, right? So we're talking about restorative sleep. We're talking about when there's a heat, the heat island effect, like you mentioned, in urban areas. These trees, large trees, old trees, green spaces are going to be protecting us from that. Um, so climate risks that we're facing now and into the future. We're talking about safe places for physical activity. So all of these things happen together. And then you mentioned another thing, which is that not all of us have them. And you're right. There have been very many racist policies in, in our country that have not just denied access, but taken access away from people that may have had trees and those things, those trees were torn down and these concrete jungles were created. So how can we make these things more equitably um, accessible? How can we help as communities to make sure that if we're really plant and tree heavy in one area, we have a beautiful tree canopy, how can we make sure that we're sharing that with others in our community? So really putting the equity at the center. And at the end of the day, it really depends on each and every one of us. You know, um, I like to think of myself as a chain, um, a link in a bike chain. And you need all of it in order for the bike to, you know, move forward. And so that ha that's applied towards, you know, every, uh, you know, key player in the healthcare system, policyholders, you know, people that are working in the environment, right? It, it needs all of us to be able to galvanize together. In terms of practical tips, we've answered this, which was my mm -hmm. next question, and I love it. So my question was practical tips from a lifestyle medicine provider, which we've already given. Now, if you are a consumer, okay, and just simply a person living on planet health, uh, planet earth, you know, what would you say, you know, we, we have heard of, you know, just simple things of what we can do, but are there, do you feel like there's pointed, actionable, practical stuff that we could actually, you know, do to, uh, is it, you know, reaching out to our Congress, you know, man and woman, is it, you know what I'm saying? What are some practical, you know, tools or steps that you would recommend as a consumer? 
Yeah. I think that we've talked a lot about individual steps and I think you're right. So that has to be nested in that there's only so much. So there's a balance between what individuals can do and what we can do as society as a whole. So certainly doing the, our individual part is key, but it's really impossible to create the spaces that we need for everybody unless our policymakers, unless the people in leadership positions are also actively trying to do what they can to make sure that the funding is there so that we have access to healthy, you know, plant forward food for everyone, that we have access to trees for everyone. So voting, 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 and putting that at the center to be a climate health voter, I think is just a key thing that we can do to protect our health. It is really voting right now is a determinant of health. I really firmly mm. believe that. Um, so we've got to, to, to think about that. I think that we've got to get involved in your local. So if, you know, at the local level, um, if you are on the board of education, trying to get climate education and lifestyle medicine education mm. into the school system, very, very important so that our children understand the threats and opportunities. I think that if you are, you know, an urban planner, thinking about how the way that you plan the city or that you plan a building is going to affect the health of the people inside, both from an individual health and a planetary health perspective. So just, I think, you're, like you said, every single one of us can do things on an individual level, but also on a much higher level as well. Excellent. Excellent. And I definitely want to conclude. I know that we can go forever. And my last question I would love to ask Dr. Neha is this podcast is all about thriving. And as much as we've talked about our individual health and how that you know, is a uh, applicable for um, as a ripple effect for everywhere else, it does start with you. And so for you, how have you personally thrived in your life? What has lit your fire? What has got you gotten you out of your bed besides your kids? You know, <laughs> what has, you know, what has motivated you to this point of doing this kind of work? Can you share at least, you know, three tips? Yeah. So I would say that I, whatever you find passion and purpose in to really try to make sure that uh, a lot of what you're doing is in that space. So it's your passion. It's the thing that you're skilled at. And it's the thing that you think is going to have the biggest impact in life where those things come together. A lot of people are, are passing that Venn diagram around right now. That's where you work and play and live. And so for me, it's really in reporting on climate change and health. So if anyone's interested in learning more about these, I write about it for Yale Climate Connections. And you can certainly follow me and I always happy to share articles and new research in this space. The other things that help me thrive are social connection. I think that I like to be very honest. I have during COVID and with the massive children that I've told Colin about that, uh, you know, I have not always had the healthiest habits and the healthiest lifestyle. And I think it's okay to honor that. It's hard. This is hard to do. It's simple stuff, but it's very difficult to do. Um, so the more I find community and doing these things in a social group, like walking to drop my daughter to school, have started to do that because I have other moms in the neighborhood that I can do that with. Mm. So I'm multi-solving um, in my own life. So wherever you can find those opportunities, I think it's it's key to do that. Mm. 
That's beautiful. I love that. And, you know, like we were talking about before, it's being part of that community. And once you get into that routine and lifestyle and habit of getting, being immersed in a community, whether it's a group class, whether it's a group uh, walking group, whether it's, you know, uh, an initiative or a collaboration project with your uh, fellow coworkers, you realize that the stuff that we do is much bigger than ourselves. And once we have that you know, notion really firmly rooted, then we understand that the individual choices and actions that come from these individual choices have a very profound impact. So Dr. Neha, thank you Mm -hmm. so, so much. You have been wonderful. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Of course, of course. And I can't wait for, um, you know, more reporting, uh, hopefully good news than bad news (laughs) um, (laughs) of everything. And we really, really appreciate your time. So uh, guys, thank you so much for watching another episode of Thrive Buys Podcast. If you like this, please like, comment and share and subscribe. And if you feel like this is a benefit for someone else, please let them know as well. Until next time, please say goodbye to Dr. Neha. Bye. <laughs> hey guys, we hope you enjoy that episode. If you like that, please like, comment, and subscribe. And uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And also remember that the first five seasons, 150 episodes, now can be seen and heard on our new The Chef Doc app. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and we greatly appreciate it. So, and we'll see you on the next one. 